podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Pompey Pubcast that combines the beers and the blues. Barros for Pompey, round Koshak goes down, penalty to pass with an old Trafford. Barros tripped by Thomas Koshak, who sent off Lantari do the job. He steps up, left-footed, scores yes. for Pompey. They lead an old Trafford in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Jamalo's onside, the flag sneak down, Jamalo, nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant. Portsmouth Football Club are promoted to League One. Curtis across the face of goal. Marquez! Marquez! He's won it! 96 minutes on the clock. Pass with a heading back to Wembley. This is Three Lads in the Pub. Here we go then, welcome along to episode two of Three Lads in the Pub. We're back at the Rutland Arms down here in, uh, is it Flatton, Jeff? It's a nice pub though, uh, good, to be, good to be back again for episode 2, Jeff Harris alongside myself, Liam Howes and we've got the Viking, uh, Ryan Stilwell uh, alongside us as well, hello lads, how are we doing Ryan, how are you? Good evening, good to be back for week 2 gents, we've not been cancelled yet. Not been cancelled yet, so going well, uh, Ryan before we move on, happy birthday for the other day. Thank you very much. Uh, catching up with, uh, with me and Jeff. You've got a long way to go before you catch up with me. <laughs> Another 20-odd years. Um, first episode, really good response. I can I can actually tell you that for the first time. We've had just under 3,000 streams on the first one. I think that's not bad going, is it? And uh, a couple of moments, which we have uh, we have resolved and apologised for. We're all friends, we're all Pompey fans, and we move on. We go again, as a famous man once said, Ryan. Absolutely. Um <laughs> It was an odd moment, but it was, as you say, resolved very amicably yeah. earlier in the week over some uh, private and public messages. So we we take that part out of a what was a really fun podcast to do, and, and outside of that one moment, the the support we've received, the comments we've received, have been absolutely fantastic and reinforced why we've done this. Jeff, I've been hearing um, from from the grapevine that a lot of people at the club actually listening to this as well and enjoying it. It's so I was told on Saturday. Um, yeah, it's it's all good, positive feedback, and um, hopefully in the coming weeks we can po- possibly share some news about um, what we're going to do in the future. Yeah, indeed. Um, so let's try not to annoy anyone in the process, shall we? Uh, right, moving on. Episode two. Let's talk about obviously the the the, uh, the most important things. Drinks. What have we got? What have we gone for? I mean, Jeff, you've uh, you've screwed up a little bit, haven't you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> when I asked for a shandy and the barmaid said any lager, I kind of inadvertently said yes and end up with Foster's. Oh, um, poor move. Instead of Cronenberg, which I wanted. Oh, and I can see you've gone. Uh, you've changed from the old Guinness last week, Ryan. You've gone for. Uh, I've gone for an Atlantic Pale Ale. My Ooh. my first thought was a Doom Bar, but they didn't have any. But uh, also, uh, they saw that they had a Sharps on tap uh, so I went for Atlantic Pale Elf I mean I've, dis- I've, I've let the team down already boys I've gone for a uh, exotic can of Pepsi Max to be fair I think that's better than my Foster Shandy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you scarred me Jeff <laughs> I can't stand Fosters oh, just wait until episode 4 where we're in uh, we're in Guildhall having Metropolitan cocktails <laughs> smashed out of our faces <laughs> right um, on, on a serious note yesterday uh, good win Jeff Against AFC Wimbledon, uh, I mean, 1-0 down. I think it's the first time we've come back from being a goal down all season to win a game. Talked about last week, um, 
about momentum and we talked about that how that Wickham result was only a big result if we went on and got another one. And and, and the team went out and then done that. You know, I think previous to that Wickham game, that team would have folded yesterday. They would have buckled under the pressure. They would have huffed and puffed. And they wouldn't have got the end result that, that, that you know, they deserved. Um, but from I think from the first minute to the last... There, there was a different intensity at Fratton Park yesterday. I think even being 1-0 down, we were still the better team in the first half and, and were unlucky to be 1-0 down. You know, when I saw it real time, when that ball flashed across the six-yard box and Hurst done the air shot, at the time, I didn't realise the defender got a toe to it. If that had gone in, the whole second half changes. You know, the penalty doesn't happen because all the events after that goal changes dramatically and you, you know and they don't get the, the, the you know the run into the box and the penalty shout and everything else and I think if we had gone 1-0 up I think we would would have gone possibly get three maybe even four if we had got got that first that goal. first 15 minutes was I think one of the most entertaining football I've seen for a long time at Fratton Park Ryan and we know that's not something we've uh, we experienced recently but like, like Jeff said if we got that early goal the, the floodgates definitely would have opened oh there was the the ball across the box to Hurst that Jeff mentioned. There was the one-on-one that Jacobs found after that delicious uh, heel flick by Harness. And again, it's, it's two moments where I think, while we credit the defending for that Hurst chance, a little bit more instinct there. If he gets onto it a little bit quicker, realistically, at the back post, you should be getting onto that. It almost looks like he, he waits for it to come to him a little bit too much and allows the defender to pull across. Again, great defending. And then the second chance, while Jacobs was alive yesterday, uh, I, you know, I've certainly slated him for essentially phoning it in when he's played in the EFL Trophy. Even when he came on in the FA Cup, he looked like he was phoning it in a little bit. Really energetic performance, linked up with Harness well. Just wondered if he was a little bit rusty of that one-on-one when he put it straight at Nick Sanev. Outside of that, the game started to peter out a little bit and up until that late goal that 89th minute goal that that game played out almost minute for minute like the 1-1 draw with Cheltenham it was two mediocre sides that couldn't get out of their own way you know that neither team was forcing errors uh, of you know on the opposition they were they were committing their own errors which were allowing chances Wimbledon giving the ball away 20 yards out Pompey being woeful with their finishing as per usual being a little bit too exuberant in challenges, it's not a penalty. But Curtis, you know, dangles a leg out a little bit clumsily. And up until that 89th minute goal, it seemed like it would be that way again. Pompey come back from one nil down, which a goal they shouldn't have conceded. Second half is Pompey just pushing the opposition further and further back. Cheltenham had the occasional chance in the second half. Wimbledon had the occasional chance in the second half, but for the most part, it was Pompey laying siege to the Fratton end. While I say, yeah, it was like the Cheltenham game, another thing I've said all season long is, and even when Kenny Jacket was in charge, too many of these Pompey players do not see 90 minutes out. They get to 45, they get to 60, they get to 75, and they call it a day. But recently, even if the quality uh, overall hasn't been there, what you've seen from Pompey is getting across the finishing line with the same energy. The stoppage time Hurst goal that got Pompey through to the knockout stages of the Earful Trophy. They knew they still had something to play for and they played right to the end of that game against Palace. That great 
you know, final stand against Wickham when they were laying siege to the away end at Adams Park. Pompey stood firm, Bass stood firm. They didn't give up the ghost. Uh, there's the first appearance of the hand dryer for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> That's our special guest this week. Um, That's just that, the proof. That could be pub. the title for episode two. Not cancelled yet, featuring the hand dryer. <laughs> uh, and then and again, and again, <laughs> and then you come to yesterday as well. Pompey seeing the game all the way through. So you've got you know three games in quick succession where Pompey are still alive in the final minutes, making telling differences on the way the game plays out. Now the quality may not be there overall, but something we've questioned is team spirit, is team fortitude, and seeing it through to the end. Right now, over the course of the past month, we are actually seeing that. We we spoke last week about football intelligence and game management, and I think that was there yesterday, and that's only come from. I think from the EFL game and the Wiccan game, they've built up on that. On that, so they've they've built on that. They 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 are seeing it over the line. And like I said just a minute ago, I think I think that team eight weeks ago would have folded. Um, but for me, I think I think Danny Cowley isn't afraid to make tactical changes or substitutions at the right time. I think under Kenny, Kenny was was slow to react. He wasn't proactive. Danny knew that game was there for the taking. You know, at one point, when he, when he took Hurst off and, and um, brought Hackett on, he thought, he's going with a false nine here. And, and with Jacobs, Curtis, Harness and Hackett on the pitch, I thought they rotated brilliantly in that quartet up, up top. And it caused Wimbledon no end of problems at the back. Now, you know, sometimes during the season a manager will discover a formation or discover that something worked, something worked just out of pure chance. And I think on Saturday, he saw that and he thought, right, we can do this. Now, where I see it in the front end, it was a great vantage point of, of Danny Cowley constantly shouting at Marcus Harness. And he kept putting two fingers up as to say, I want you up top, 4-4-2, and also playing through the width of the 18-yard box. And then he was, when he was talking to Harrison about coming on, he was constantly drumming that into Ellis Harrison. You know, for a good five, six minutes before he came onto the pitch, I want two up front, play within the brick for the 18-yard box. Because he suddenly realised, this is working. This is how we can get him. You know, and I, I said on social media yesterday, Marcus Harness does, does the hard things easy and the easy things hard. And, and you know, I, I was getting... It was at that point, people around me getting frustrated with him. And then out of nowhere, he scores, what, a 25-yard goal that goes past three defenders and the goalkeeper. And you thought, I never saw that coming. Because you literally thought, he's going to take another touch. He's going to lose the ball. And then he just pings it, and it's in the bottom left corner. He is in some form at the moment. And, I mean, I'm, I'm glad because, no no disrespect, it's, we've waited a long time for it, Ryan. Harness has always been one of those players where you feel like there's uh, another gear to be discovered. When we talk about John Marquis, we always say, as we said in episode one, people always say, oh, that guy will do his confidence in the world of good. I think we're at Marquis's ceiling. I think we're at the, the, the highest limit of what he can achieve as a goal-scoring forward. Harness, there are occasions where I think you're a one-in-five player. You have an absolutely absurd game once a month. Uh, if that I've always thought there was maybe a little bit more to be discovered about him I always thought there was a longer purple patch for him and right now once again we're, we're seeing those telling differences come from Harness he bags that vital winning goal where can be bags a vital winning goal here 
against Wimbledon. Again, that's the 89th minute. It's a slide pass across the middle from Morel, and his first thought is immediately break beyond the midfield bank and drive at the defence in the 90th minute after a game of long, hard running. That's the kind of cold clinical edge we've wanted from these players and that energy to go out and make those telling differences both at the start of the game and at the end of the game so harness purple patch right now deservedly so even in the harrow game where we rightly called out many players for for essentially falling asleep during that game liam you cough like a heartbeat (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) i've actually changed my microphone today because last last week i noticed that i cough every 10 seconds Uh, but this one i can i can actually take away Uh, next subject and this is a question for for jeff uh michael jacobs (laughs) I'm referencing that I'm referencing last week yeah (laughs) you know I think he was at it yesterday Um, he really was Ryan talked about it just a minute ago in the EFL game he kind of you expect your big players in a a youthful side to be the standout player and I think he just coasted that that game Um, whereas yesterday we saw the Michael Jacobs that we all knew was there I thought thought he was instrumental and everything um, he took his goal well. Yes, he's fortuitous. I thought he actually handballed it, but the ref, twice. Yeah, and the ref didn't see it. You know, but you you got to take take your chances. The whole of the South Stand saw it, mate. I tell you that, <laughs> and the Fattening saw it. Yeah. But it, you know, he took his goal well. And going back to what you said earlier, Ryan, about that one-on-one chance in the first half, I think if he if he was had more minutes on the pitch. His match sharpness would have been there. And I think as the longer the, the match went on, the more he grew into the game. That's why the, I said he was a bit rusty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The more influence he had on it. Um, when he scored that goal, he looked far more assured in driving at the defender and taking that strike than he did yes. in, the, what was it, the fifth minute or something like, yeah, that? something like that? He looked far more confident, yeah. Um, it, you know, for me, he has to start next game. Now, Danny may have a, a view on that, saying well, he hasn't, hasn't had a, um, you know, a good pre-season because he was injured. You know, he's just getting back into the team. So you might need to have, like, be managed through games. But for me, I'd definitely start him because if you can get 45 minutes out of him in either, either half, ideally the first half for me, um, then there is a potential match winner there. If you can get one or two goals in the first half, you go into the second half and, and you've got the advantage. The only thing I'd say as maybe a devil's advocate type thing is that that Jacobs performance was reminiscent of when we went to Gillingham in the in the COVID season one two nil when he was the COVID season uh, the the non-existent season whatever you want to call it he was the catalyst for everything good that night in that two nil win and much of it either ended up at his feet or went through his feet yesterday that's the type of performance it was from him the only thing I'd uh, advise caution on in terms of Jacobs moving forward is everyone was having the same discussion regarding George Hurst following the Palace and the Wickham game, saying he's a he's a surefire starter, he's turned a corner. And I'm thinking, well, what, you know, one good performance does not make a player. You then look at what George Hurst did against a, a far less physical Wimbledon side, and up until his substitution in the 60th minute, he had a, not a single impact on the game. Uh, he was very much a ghost in that game. So I think in terms of... I agree with you, Jeff, that he's definitely put himself forward for a starting position. But a lot of people were very quickly to say, 
George Hurst is back, or this is George Hurst resurrected. I, I don't think George I, Hurst has ever been back. Yeah, he, has he, has he ever George, started? You know, you know? George Hurst is alive. This is what he can do. I've seen a lot of people now claiming this is Michael Jacobs. You know, this is it for the rest of the season. I Again, I agree with you. He's definitely put his name forward for starting contention, but I will have to see probably a month of Michael Jacobs, not being at that level, because you can't play at that level every single game, but at least competent at least being a presence within the game I, I don't because Hurst yesterday was lifeless Jacobs for me isn't an impact player he either starts or he comes on at half time he's not that he's not that player you bring on at 10 minutes to go or you know like that I saw the stat that Andy Moon put out I don't know if you guys saw it and apparently Michael Jacobs has started 13 times for Pompey out those 13 times we've won 11 we've drawn one lost one now for, for me, yes, his starts haven't been enough because he's been injured. He's obviously had injury problems. But he's the type of player that if you, you can keep him fit, we've said this before, keep him fit, get him in the side, he'll produce. Um, and talk about impact players, Morel coming on yesterday, <laughs> that, that, that was the game changer. Absolutely. His price tag still baffles me. The, the money we got him for, relatively, it baffles me. I have a theory me. on that. By all means. So... When when it was rumoured he was going to Ipswich, Eric Eisner actually put a tweet out, which he then deleted. And the tweet was, I'm paraphrasing here, basically said, I'm, I'm happy that Luton stuck to their end of the deal. Oh, yeah, Luton honoured the deal with us. So, yeah. so I actually think Joe Morrell was open to going to Ipswich. I think that Luton didn't want to deal with Ipswich, and that's why he eventually ended up in Portsmouth. But that's just my view. You know, don't shoot the messenger. That's just putting it out there because that is the only reason I can see him why he came to Pompey. When he gets on a football, actually, we'll just tie up the Jacobs thing first before we uh, we'll discuss more. The last thing with Jacobs is he probably has to go above and beyond any Portsmouth player in the next couple of months because he is one of the highest earners at the club. Now, you've got in the region of 12 players reaching contract expiration in the summer. Danny Cowley clearly wants to overhaul this side and make it his own. Jay- Jacobs was supposed to be off to Ipswich in the summer. All of a sudden, he's here. If he wants to stay at Pompey, he's on reportedly five grand a week. So he's going to have to basically earn that five grand a week or take a considerable pay cut. Now, considering he's entering more advanced years of his career, you get then you get into that discussion of if it could be his last big payday. I the reason Christian Burgess went to Belgium because we weren't willing to offer him his last big payday. Michael Jacobs could be the same. So one good performance, yes, nicely done. But if Jacobs wants a Pompey future, he's going to have to do more than any other of the guys whose contracts are expiring because I think there's one player at the club earning more than him, and I believe it's Marquis. <laughs> I think he's or, a top earner, isn't he? Well, he's got to be. You know, even Jacobs. Jacobs is putting himself in the shop window for a January move. It's either he wants a new Pompey deal or, or he's got to impress to get a new club in January. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think this, you know, if he can keep himself fit, if he can keep himself presence within games, it's going to have to be at a level where he is talked about as a man of the match contender for the next month. Otherwise, no matter what he did yesterday, he is still off in January or in the summer. And then... Moving back on to Morel, which you mentioned earlier. Oh, I love it when he gets on a football. The first touch is he finds which way the opposition goal is 
and he drives forward with it. He doesn't care if he's got two players in his way. He doesn't care if he's got 30 yards of green air in his way. He just moves forward with the ball with such determination to take the ball from the edge of Pompey's own third to the edge of the opposition third, just sauntering through that middle third. Nary a care in the world. Nary a care how many players are there. He offloads it really well. He finds the space. Oh, it's fantastic to watch him get on the ball. Those first couple of seconds is probably the most determined that any Pompey player is on a ball and effective. Undoubtedly changed the game yesterday, Jeff. He did, you know, and and I spoke about it earlier when we were going with that false nine formation. I, th- I think with those four just moving around and moving the, the back four around, Morel was able to pick that ball out, drive at their defence, what was left of it, break the lines and just cause so much havoc the Wimbledon players didn't know what to do. Like, do I go and press? Do, do I stay with my marker? It, you know, and that, and that assist for Harness, that came from getting the ball, playing it early, playing it with purpose. I, he doesn't waste a pass, does he? he? He always finds, for me, nine times out of ten, he'll find a Pompey player. And, and he's always looking to go forward. <coughs> he, he's, not, he's not one to get the ball bit like, you know, Sean Williams will get the ball. I think Sean is a, he, 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 he protects the back four, but I just think he's a bit slow in transition and he, and he wants to calm the, the, the pace down, whereas Joe gets the ball, he's off. That's the reason he played in the Euros yeah. all summer for Wales, that he, he started every game. Rob Page is not an idiot. I know people like to go, oh, it's, he's one of those coaches that wear shorts on the sideline. <laughs> he took, he managed his country at a Euros. And he took them into the knockouts as well. For a country of, you know, relatively 4 million people, a country perceived on a decline as well, it was still a good achievement for Wales. And Morel was still starting in a midfield three in spite of all of that. There's a reason for it. I'm sorry to mention this name in episode two again. He reminds me a lot of Ben Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not taking the mick, he does. The way You're he going drives, to spawn so many news articles. It's, it's the way he drives Thompson <laughs> chat. The way he drives forward, the way he can pick out a pass. He just he just screams out Ben Thompson. He does, you, you know. And you said it now, Liam. So, but you know, could you imagine a, a central two of Thompson and Morel? Oh, Ben Thompson, not Louis Thompson. <laughs> but isn't that kind of a benchmark of what it takes to get out of this division, or the differences between a League One midfielder and a Championship midfielder? It's not just the the technical ability but it's the mindset as well it's the mindset of I don't care who's in the midfield bank for the other team I'm going to pick up this ball and I'm going to do something with it elite mentality must match elite physicality and elite technicality at some point I think Louis Thompson has that mentality as well Um, it's it's his legs that fail him yeah you know and I think the more minutes he gets the fitter he gets again you know I, I jested there and said Ben Thompson but I actually think, you know, with the players we've got at Fountain Park at the moment, that our mainstay go-to central midfield pairing will be Louis Thompson and Jay Morrell. A match-fit pairing of those, it will be the most... Got so much It'll be the most comfortable midfield on the ball that we've seen in years. And even in, even in League One in general, I know we've had a fairly poor start to the season, which we're starting to make up for now. But there aren't many midfields that I've come across yet where... You know, if you have a pairing of them, normally you've got one and the other. But a, a match fit pairing of Louis Thompson, if he gets to that stage, and Joe Morrell, there aren't many midfields where both midfielders, or if they're part of a free, all three midfielders are that comfortable in the football and can make uh, differences moving forward. Obviously, 
defensively, that's where you probably pay the price a little bit. But you're hoping that the attacking quality can offset any frailties going Definitely. back the other way. There you go. We could talk about that all the whole episode, couldn't we? Really, yeah. uh, that, that the midfield situation. But moving, going back to, to uh, Saturday's game, uh, Jeff. Uh, Tom Daly would have been impressed with that dive. Oh, uh, you know, I, I I put the tweet out and said, you know, get your get your thoughts into in, into into the pod. Um, and and majority of people said it's not a penalty. There's been a couple of people saying it was, but I can't and, figure and, out how. You know, for me, if 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 the ref's gonna blow up for an offence, the offence is five yards outside the eighteen yard box where Curtis has the first nibble at at, at the Wimbledon player. Um, I, I I guess when when you see the replays, then you see it from the ref's view or whatever. You're you're always going to give a referee a decision to make if you go in for for a tackle in the box. Even if you make any contact whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but I, I I saw someone pause the clip and post and said this is a penalty. But if you watch it in real time, the, Curtis puts his leg out and draws it back, and and then for whatever angle you look at it, you see the Wimbledon player kind of jump into Curtis, bounce off his hip, and then bounce the opposite way, and you're just like. How's he ever done that? He's taken contact and he's looks like he's physically forced himself to the ground. And you're like, that was never a penalty for me. Mm. If anything, it was a free kick five yards outside the 18-yard box. Yeah, because as you rightly said, Curtis uh, engaged him straight away because Guinness Walker takes that touch, which basically stops him in his tracks. And Curtis tries to jump out at that point. But Guinness Walker's so fast off the ground that he gets round him. And that's where Curtis all of a sudden... The whole way into the box, he's slightly behind him, trying to tug back at him and get level. The thing I didn't like about this whole penalty thing is the excuses being made for the referee. It's like, well, Curtis dangling a leg out gives him a choice to make. Yeah, but he made the wrong choice by a country mild. He made the crap choice. And then other people going, well, it's Fratton Park, it's Portsmouth. The referees always want to come down here and make it about themselves, prove they're the big man. Again, that that's almost making an excuse for the fact it was a crap decision He's in a, a crap ref. game as well because there were two occasions either side of the penalty where Pompey uh, were given or should have been given advantage for free kicks and the referee blew up on the spot. There was one where Jacobs was brought down on a diagonal run to the box. Ball gets played through. I think Curtis essentially has a one-on-one if the referee doesn't blow up for the free kick and obviously Harness actually stuck one in the back of the net following the that penalty. That baffled me. Yeah. That baffled me. Yeah, and he's calling up on both occasions. So it's Exactly. It's the same yeah, thing, isn't yeah. it? Let's call a crap game a crap game. I made a mistake earlier in the week and the, I... The fact of the matter you know, is... I admitted it with no excuses. The, the fact, referee on this hand, oh, well, he's given a decision. Yeah, but he made, the, he made a crap decision. The fact of the matter is some of these referees cannot handle Fratton Park. It's too, it's too big for them. <laughs> it, it, yesterday, you, you know, it was just one of those ones where... The ref looked like he was a rabbit in headlights. I would have rather seen Trevor Kettle for an the hour. Only, yeah. I th- I th- just an hour, not I th- 90 I think minutes. There's probably better refs in the National League than what that ref is. Most likely. There's probably more honest referees in the National League who do it more for the love of the game rather than anything. God, I, know. Yeah, I think the, We can say what we want about referees and not get in trouble, Ryan. That's yeah. the second <laughs> episode. But Stanley Cowley to come out afterwards and say even the fourth official allegedly turned around and said that wasn't a penalty. Huh? Yeah, that's... that. Those are always amusing when someone on your own side goes, eh, probably not. I think Did you the know- only cliche I'll accept uh, in regards to referees is that this will even out over the course of the season. The good thing for Pompey will get contentious decisions 
rubbish decisions go their way at some point this season. It will even out. No club is ever really uh, undone by an official over the course of the season because you've got 46 games to get it right. A a penalty in the Wimbledon game in November isn't going to dramatically change your season. But this is where we go back to earlier. For once, Pompey displayed both enough fighting spirit and quality to actually make up for it. Whereas, again, without that late Marcus Harness goal, (laughs) we're talking about this game in the same way we talked about the Cheltenham game. Just mediocre, apathetic, didn't get over the line. But at least Pompey showed enough to get over not only Wimbledon's dirty play acting referee decisions they showed enough to get through all of that and come out victorious not great quality but got the job done and as for the referee yeah, yeah. I, I hope you uh, i hope the referee just gets to watch it and again yeah it is a crap decision but hopefully he'll be able to watch it and just go okay uh, you know i properly whiffed on that game i did notice i mean i will Move on from this because it's irrelevant now. We won the game. But I noticed that half-time at the change, he was much better. It's almost as if his assistant said, you know, come on, mate, sort your life out. Yeah. It was better in the second half. It, definitely. I think, I think you know, the fourth officials probably said to him, I think you've made a mistake there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the linesmen have probably gone, I think you made a mistake there. There was one not long after the penalty where Lee Brown got a free kick. I'm just about to talk about and this. And it was yeah. definitely not a free kick. No. <laughs> it but was the- almost like a... I'll have a pity free kick. It's like, well, yeah. you gave them an entire penalty. All you're doing now is match fixing. If, po- if you're actually giving the other side a decision because you made a crap decision a few minutes before, that is essentially fixing the match. Mm. You're, the, the best thing you can do after making a really bad decision is still officiate the game to the best of your ability, not give the other side uh, pity set pieces. I don't even know how he didn't see Marcus Harness throwing air number four to the floor. No, it was it was like, <laughs> it was like you know it's like in the jujitsu ring or whatever. Yeah, it was wasn't paper, it? You know, he was only stood five yards it was away. Pay per view wrestling. It was, it was like he looked at Harness, went, "Yeah, I ain't gonna mess with you." I mean, we mentioned the the referee decision, obviously the penalty, but then another decision that led to Lee Brown being booked because of a decision he didn't get initially. Because he, you know, did one of them. I think Marcus Harness is guilty of this. Doesn't get a decision go his way and he goes and just chops someone down. Lee Brown essentially did that, gets booked, misses the next game. Um, yeah, clum- is, clumsy tackle. Yeah, uh, which is disappointing. Look, we'll come back to that in a minute, but I just want to take a break from uh, the game on, on Saturday and talk um, something that's been mentioned quite a lot on social media. Uh, stadium talk, Ryan. Not long ago, some uh, plans released for the South Stand and North Stand. The, uh, the, the pitches... That, to be honest, they look, they look quite nice. I think the restructuring work in itself, this is a tough one to gauge because ultimately it is being done where it hasn't been done through many other owners. You know, the last major work done on Fratton Park was Terry Venables building the new Fratton end all those years ago. I think it was 1997 it opened. That's, you know, how long it's been since major work's been done on Fratton Park. So when this begins, we are talking essentially an, an entire generation has passed. It's tough to gauge because it is happening, but it's not redevelopment work. They no. They've admitted in the uh, when i reference they have reference to andy cullen who's mentioned this michael eisner in the agm video uh, video they referenced that they missed a couple of things on the due diligence for the stadium all of a sudden they're being told um these rather obvious uh, problems in the stadium if you don't sort these out soon your capacity will be dropped to eight to ten thousand and that's no mere threat that they're throwing out because those who may not have been up to date with it, Birmingham have had to shut two entire stands while they do emergency work. Barnsley's main stand at Oakwell, 
the historic stand there is shut while they do work on it. So this wasn't some idle threat that was thrown to them. This was serious stuff saying, we will shut your stands if you don't work on it. How the Eisners, who had the phone number of any architect in the world they wanted, because they are a billionaire company that's owned major sports organizations, have had a baseball team that's won the World Series, how they all missed it, quite baffling to be honest, all of a sudden to be told, we're halving your capacity unless you sort it out right away. So it's it's good that it's happening, but I don't think it should be called redevelopment work. I this is renovation work. This is even this is keeping the doors open work. It it de- it definitely is. But I, you know, you look at the, the plans for the south stand. You can see the bottom of the south stand being redeveloped because they're they're bringing the level up of the bottom. Um, so it's. It, it should have been, yeah, you know. So the, yeah, you've the, got fans at like eye height to the pitch. Yeah, it's so weird. the bottom of the south stand is now going to be level. Do you remember the pitch? The, that time the linesman stacked it down there? It was really. Do you remember that it was yeah, years players ago. Have yeah. gone in there years yeah, ago. Yeah, players have always fallen um, in the pit. So you know, so so by remodelling the bottom and going up to where, call them the bucket seats, um, those two or three rows just from the north uh, hanging south, basket. Yeah, I the they south call stand it. upper. And um, you know, I as a kid coming to Fatton Park in the eighties and nineties. You know, you used to see the Archibald Leach ironwork there and all that. I used to love seeing that coming into Fatton Park. And that's coming back, you know, and I, I can't wait to see that back again. Um, so, yeah, you know, valid points about the North Stand. And, and I think they're trying to maximise the revenue as well. You, you know, it's great we're getting extra seats in there. But we need to build a team to fill those seats. That's my main point. I've said that for years. I've been saying that since the early 90s. It's great you're building the fat and end Terry Venables. It's great you're doing this. It's great you're putting more seats in. But give us a team to fill those seats. I'm, I'm going to throw something out there about the South Stand. And I wanted to get your two opinions on it. Because I don't know if I'm just talking bollocks. Or, or, if, or if I'm on something here. Why well, change your habit of a lifetime? Uh, yeah, actually. Let's continue talking bollocks. Uh, I don't think the South Stand... I. The reason why I don't think this has been planned very well, if at all, in terms of, I'm talking long-term planning, the reason I don't think it's been planned very well is that when this major South Stand reprofiling happens to remove the hanging basket, to make two tiers, one singular tier stand, this work will essentially commence in 2022, because they're still doing most of the North Stand work now, so it'll be 2022, 2023 before the major South Stand work begins. So we'll be in 2023 and we're building a stand that still has poles in the way. We're in, we'll be in 2020. We will literally be in the modern future building a new stand with restricted viewing. Now, obviously, we're building that the stand with those poles in the way the way they are because of the roof. You, the roof's not cantilevered. It needs those support structures in the middle. Now, if you knew you had to do work to the south stand and you essentially had to rebuild it, why did you then reclad the roof of the staff stand two year, a year back, two years back, when they, they basically changed the roof cladding, put new light, uh, floodlights on there? That's why I don't think this has been thought out very well, because they recladded that roof, meaning they can't change that roof. They kept the original structure of the roof. They're now building the south stand again, but it's still got restricted viewing. And, uh, uh, that's really baffling. We're, we'll be in 2023 and we're building a stand and fans will still have parts of the stand they can't see and obviously Liam we, we've we sat up in that press box from a certain who angle who had that, that shot 
It, yeah, from a certain angle in the press box, which annoyingly was always mine, I couldn't see the Milton end goal. We'll be in, uh, that really baffles me. Yeah. It, it, and that's why I don't think it's been planned very well, because we haven't changed the roof structure of the south stand. And as a result, we have to keep restricted viewing in in, in this new stand. Oh. That, for me, is unacceptable. Fans are still paying full price season tickets without being able to see everything. That, for me, is not good enough. When they done that work on the South Stand roof, that's when the new TV gantry was first muted and first designed. And, and, and rightly so. You know, you said, why did they do that roof and then they're going to come back to it to put that TV gantry in? It's great they're going to put that new TV gantry in and, and everything else, but fundamentally, the South Stand roof is still the same. Yeah, nothing else has changed. It's a, it's a veranda, essentially. And people may accuse me of being finicky here. I'm being a bit too combative against the club. I'm really not. I, I want Pompey fans to pay full price for a season ticket and see a full game. You know, it's, it's nothing simpler than that. It, it smacks of me of doing it. I know they're doing it, and I have to credit them for that. And they are, they are keeping the doors open. I have to credit them for that. But it smacks of doing it with ill planning and essentially on the cheap yeah, if we're being honest it feels like it's being done on a scribble on the back of a fag packet on the cheap and there will be fans in that south stand who still can't see a full match uh, yeah still can't see a full match that south stand has been there for the entire club's history in one way or the other now with this redevelop renovation work <laughs> we are making it clear that we are not leaving Fratton Park whatever Portsmouth Club uh, Portsmouth Football Club will be in the future will be at Fratton Park forever which means we will have restricted viewing in the south stand forever that for me is not good enough for those who who, who pay to sit there be interesting to get some thoughts of people that do sit in the south stand if you're listening to this get involved and uh, <clears throat> let us know your thoughts on what Ryan said there if you just send us a DM on Twitter three lads in a pub or three lads in a pub at gmail.com is that right? right yeah it'd be good to hear from you for the next episode we'll cover that again but Jeff off, off the back of that but he's, he's got a point He's got a good point. He has. You know, I sat in the South Stand Upper once and I was like, never again. <laughs> All because of the viewing. Yeah. You know, and I, people have to put up with that for 23 I, games. You know, I, 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 believe it or not, when the ball gets kicked in the air, you're like, oh, you there, can't it, see it. there it goes. Where's, yeah. where's it in landing? the press box, we have the same issue. Where's well, we, it we have the same issue. Do you know what? Uh, I'm not going to lie. Hands down. I have not, I genuinely have not seen that video that comes on the screen before no, kickoff you, you yet. You can hear it. That, that, the Milton End scoreboard, we can't, I've you heard can't about see it, it from the South Upper. Yeah. That's how low that roof comes down. So wh- where, where, how, do you, how do you address that? Can they redo that roof? And I'd like to see well, it the same as the, know, the, the, in, in the North Stand. In the five minutes we've talked about this, I've sat here and gone, in my head, how, how can we make the South Stand work? Well, actually, if we're talking about redevelopment Fratton Park, why don't you put all the corporate boxes that we're going to bring in, or hopefully bring in, and you put them in the, the South Stand, and make the corporate boxes better viewing because you won't have the restricted view. I'd put them in the north stand. Well, but logic says that. If you're going to build a new north stand, put them in there. I don't think but there should be anything such as corporate impulse. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of you thinking about how we make that south stand in a way that we can change the roof structure, I you think we would need... Yeah, I was just about... I think you would need to acquire the entire road behind or at least that side of the road behind it which we are doing it's it's not it's the worst kept secret in the world that we're trying to buy up that entire well, wasn't street. that wasn't that question brought up in the latest fans conference correct and, and that uh, that was answered publicly it was, yeah. and they they have confirmed they, have, they are buying houses so mark catlin answered that last season as well 
yeah. Yeah, that that's something that that's been holding my holding them back for many years. That's that because um, it, it only takes one stubborn person. Mm. Even Chelsea you, had this problem you call when they're stubborn, but it could be their family home that they've lived in. Yeah, but come on, <laughs> stubborn may not be a bad thing. You know, stubborn may be a, a very well principled standing. But even Chelsea had this problem. They had that redevelopment of Stamford Bridge held up at one point for quite a while because I believe there was one property in the northeast corner of where they wanted to redevelop that took a long, long time. Uh, to to convince them to leave. Oddly, the thing that convinced them to leave was a bucket full of cash. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think the only the only positive to come out of this, I know it's been a long time coming, but the fact that we it looks like we are staying at Fratton Park, Jeff, is just brilliant, isn't it? It is. You know, I I, I couldn't imagine Portsmouth away from Fratton Park. Not because not just because of the heritage around Fratton and everything else. I look at it from pubs like we're in now, you know, and the surrounding pubs, and and then people always, you know, people coming in Rutland on a Saturday shit alley, just yeah, the- you know, it's all part of that match day experience, you know, and and it's it's the same trodden path that we've all taken as kids, yeah. you know, and then you know, you guys are going to take your kids there eventually. I do it every Saturday with with my Getting son. Getting chased by Millwall down Golsham <laughs> Avenue. I can't wait for my eye to get, uh, to get kicked out of the press box in <laughs> like 25 years' time. <laughs> like, <No>. father, like... <laughs> I think if Pompey were going to, to move the stadium, there was one realistic window of opportunity about a year and a half, two years ago, which is when the Pompey Centre went up for sale for, I believe it was a reported fee of 50 million. Now, the Pompey Centre is next door to the ground. You could have bought up that entire area. And 50 redo- million? Yeah, because it, it goes all the way. It's all the properties. It's all the area. That's a joke, isn't it? Could have put a closer bridge in, though, couldn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, week three, we'll have Network Rail on as our, as our guest. But I think if you were going to move the stadium anywhere, that window... A big price tag that it comes with, you'd have been able to buy that, and you'd have had Fratton Park and all of that land around it, slap bang in the centre of the city, yours forever. That was Pompey's realistic because every owner has come into this club and has not found a damn iota of space on Portsea Island to move to. Well, we're going to have one in the harbour. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we were building a floating island at one point. That was realistically the last window yeah. to move Fratton Park, and it's gone. I know it was it was nice, obviously well, not nice. It was it was needed that Tesco to be built there. It was it was you know pivotal, wasn't it? Um, but that that space would have been perfect, Jeff, to rotate the stadium. See all the plans for it before. Yeah, and, and it would have, and and I think Pompey have got enough space to rotate the ground. I, uh, a guy, a member of the Armed Forces Bar, this guy called Steve Higgins, actually worked on those those plans of rotating the pitch around yeah. and and even said at the AGM meeting not so long ago to Andy Cullen that he had worked out that they could rotate the pitch 90 degrees. But still do it now. And, and still keep the capacity at 10,000. Let's be honest, Pompey have always had a hardcore 10, 11,000 mm. fans. Um, and you could say 3,000 of those are the kids that get drugged along with their parents on a, on a match day afternoon. Kids for a quid. That, 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 I've seen them plans recently. They're still, they're still online. Yeah. And it just it would have been perfect. And it, again, that window's passed now. Yeah. You can't do uh, £11 million of renovation work to the North and South stands and then go, oh, uh, never mind, we're, we're turning the pitch. Yeah. The current layout of Fratton Park, east to west, 
which is actually quite rare in football. Most football grounds are actually north to south to prevent sunlight uh, beaming down on each of the goals in the you know the the darker months of the year. It's actually rare for a football club to be east west, but that current layout will be Fratton Park forever. This is it. With, with that work being announced, this is our future forever. We can only ex- expand the capacity around the current pitch. If the opportunity ever, else we're tied in. ever arose, Jeff, for the you know the, where B and Q is. If that area became available, that'd be a perfect little pompy village, wouldn't it? It would. And and some some, some um, friends of mine were chatting the other day in the, in the victory lounge and saying, you know, they go to MK Dons, they go to all these other clubs. Where is the fan zone outside the ground? Where 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 are the beer tents? Where are the where are the activities for the kids? You know, pompy talk talk a good commercial game, but when it comes to the match day experience, and we talked about this last week. They can do so much outside the ground to get the fans buying, buying food, drinks, activities, and all that, and get the fans buzzing before, before they're getting in the ground. Yes, that's going to take away some economy from, from local pubs and that, but we can do so much more, and it just seems... You look at the, the, the lesser club, I call them lesser clubs, but they're not, in League One, they're doing far more for the fans outside their grounds than what Portsmouth are. Accrington is. Uh, have you ever yeah, been exactly. to the, the, the home end at Accrington? They've got, a, they've got a marquee bar outside the ground with live music before and after games. I know the, the average tenants at Ack is 2.5k, so it's obviously on a much smaller scale that they need to provide for. But I, I, even though it's a four and a half hour drive, 250 miles, I love going to Aki. Because everything about it screams communal football for the people that actually go. It's a wonderful place to spend, uh, spend a Saturday How afternoon. How hard is it to, to get like a company into like an you know, inflatable sort of like pitch for the kids before having a kick around outside, that sort of thing? Exactly. That's what you want, That's isn't the, it? Yeah, exactly. You know, get some beer marquees up there, you know, get some get some live music, get, get you know, DJ playing. I don't know any, any good DJs, anyone? No. no. I, if only we knew a DJ that had ties of the club. Look, anyone at the club's listening, right, I'm free on Saturdays now, if you don't know if you've noticed, but I will quite happily DJ before kickoff. I'd love to. Honestly, I would, that's my, that is my dream job to DJ at Fratton Park before maybe, kickoff. Maybe we should get Andy, Andy Cullen on the show and, well, we'll and pose him these questions. We'll see. I'll do him a little, a little mix. You know, I'll send him a little mixtape. Um, but no, on, on a serious note, let's, going back to the Max Day experience, that needs, that needs to... That needs not to to improve but yeah we need to we need to see something don't we because it's like you say it's just you turn up at the moment what is it they've they got rid of the burger vans out there it's just this little kiosk now with you know a, you can buy a pint and a hot dog or whatever it is i mean that's not great is it not at four pound 90 for a hot dog <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's, there's nothing else out there but it's the, no, the pompey bus is still there but I mean, the community bus is still no, haven't I seen them. No, that's gone, I think. No. I've not seen I mean, that in ages. What's going, what's, they're just, these are just questions that need to be asked. The it's, problem it's is not that a great they, experience. The, the area outside the Fratton end, and indeed around the ground, is very limited because obviously the Tesco deal made it, the, the room as limited as possible outside the Fratton end. Most of the area, nearly all of the area behind the North Stand is that car park, which at £10 is one of the more expensive but, car parks in the division. The area to actually do something at the stadium is limited but that's not an excuse because i would still call fratton park the match day at fratton park in terms of the the match day experience in let's say from 
half one onwards to 3 p.m. is one of the most limited matchday experiences in League One. And we've we've been to every ground in League One, so we can say that with some assurance. Half-time entertainment, where's all that gone? Where's it? Get the dizzy stick back, come on. Oh, did, did, you <laughs> see the, did you see the recommendation for the Boxing Day game? PO, PO4 News Now team against us in the Dizzy yes. competition in the fighting end. No, I'm all for I, I, I'm not. I'm not um, I think there'll be a few people doing impersonations of me after that. <laughs> one. I'm not criticising what goes on at the moment. I love seeing the you know you've got the youngsters coming out doing the, the penalty kicks and stuff. That's great. But it used to be so much more, didn't oh, there? Um, Back in the day. Yeah. You know, and, and I get there's COVID restrictions, but, you know, I, I saw... sat next to each other. But, but they're putting a pop-up yeah, goal. We're all falling over each other at Adams they're, Park. They're putting man. a pop-up goal on the side of the pitch. Not even Nelson going in goal for the kids. You know, where's where's the half-time raffle? Where's the where's the lucky row pizza? Not that I ever won the lucky row none pizza. None of that's happening, is but it? None of it's none of it's happening. There's one. I bet you that there's one fan in the South Stand who's walked home with a pizza every week when they used to do that lucky pizza. <laughs> it was always family section yeah. South Stand. Now being a fat git. <laughs> Sitting in the fratten end in my season ticket older days, fuming. <laughs> Did you not? Right, I used to sit there in the North Stand, and when they announced it, we'd all say, here we go, South Stand. South Stand, lower. Lower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was every time, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, that, that is, it's, a good, it's a good point to make it. Then, you know, it's just not what it was. And yeah, you could say COVID, but get a couple of little goals out there, have a little five-a-side going on with the kids, have that when sort we of had thing. The ticket oh, issues, that. When we had the ticket issues towards the start of the season, the club was saying, well, you need to arrive earlier. Okay, but what's the incentive? Exactly. It, if you want people to arrive at the ground, there's a reason why people show up at 2.45. There's nothing to do at the ground. Did if you actually incentivize people to show up earlier by giving them something in the ground to do, they probably would. And I generally, no word of lie, if I'm meeting the guys in the pub, in here, or the crook, or, or other good public house establishments, um, I will probably stay in the pub to about half to 2.40ish, and then walk down to the ground. If for whatever reason I go in the victory lounge, I kind of leave the victory lounge at two o'clock because one, the beer's getting warm. Two, there's not a great choice. Three, it's getting overcrowded. So then I go upstairs to the fattening end. You walk to a kiosk, get another warm pint of beer um, and, and kind of just stand there, have a, have a chat to, to, to my mate or my son or whatever and then go take my seat about quarter past two and watch the warm up. See how woeful some of the shooting drills well, yeah, are. Because that, that's um, the option right you know, now. You can either sit in the pub and have a drink up until about half two, or you can watch a wayward Ellis Harrison shot bend your own nose 60 degrees to starboard. <laughs> I felt sorry I felt sorry for the guy in the fatten end on, on Saturday. The ball cleared the net. Everyone saw it by one bloke who was on his phone, <laughs> and it hit him square in the face. And he, he kind of like stood there and went, that didn't hurt, but you could see it hurt. And then he refused to throw the ball back. <laughs> God, that, that was a stinger in this it weather was. as well. It was. That November air just oh. adds to it as well. Right, let's go back to, um, to obviously, Brown got booked um, at AMC Wimbledon. Um, so he misses the... There was, I think there's five players, isn't there, on... Was it four or five players on the fifth yellow card? Um, obviously going into that AMC Wimbledon game. Brown was one of them. Mrs. Lincoln, bit of a dilemma uh, when Danny Cowley was asked this question, Ryan, after I was stood next to him at the post-match and yeah, his face was a bit of a, he, he did smile, it was sort of like a nervous smile. What do we do? Because <laughs> you can't move Ogilvy. No, he is the natural left back, but moving Ogilvy then means you either put Paul Downing in there, 
which throughout his entire Pompey tenure, Paul Downing has, in the depth chart of centre-backs, Paul Downing is behind a cardboard cutout of himself and people who also aren't centre-backs. They, they, this is literally true. I remember when Christian Burgess missed his first game of the 1920 season away at Accrington uh, when he was suspended. We moved Tom McNaylor to centre-back. We moved him out of his captaincy position in the central midfield purely because we didn't want to give Paul Downing a game of association football. That's the way it's gone for him throughout his entire time here. It's probably going to go that way again. I don't think he moves Ogilvie out now that he started to form a relationship with Raggett. A really good pairing once again. Uh, you know, both of them made some telling contributions yesterday, got involved in key moments. Maybe maybe Kieran Freeman moves out to left. that's the obvious answer, see, isn't it? Or you, go, or you go back free and you maybe even try Hackett a wing back. See, but I would see, think... throughout Downing's career, the answer's always been, oh, not him. And maybe maybe it's harsh on him, but he's just never had that impact at the club. I think Freeman comes in, but Freeman comes in at right back and Romeo is the player who moves over to left. I think Romeo's the more technical player that could deal with being on the left. Um... I think you're asking too much of Freeman going over to the left and you're definitely asking too much of Sean Williams going in at centre-half. Yeah, it's a headache for, yeah, that, that's a headache not for Cal. Out. No. So, so I, think, I think, for me, Freeman comes in at right back and Romeo sh- shifts over to the left for one game. And going back to, to Ogilvy, you, can't, you simply cannot move him, Ryan, after the partnership he has formed uh, with, uh, with Sean Raggett. And... When it, you know it comes to the, the moment that you know Clark Robinson comes back, he's got a task on his hand to get rid of him because the last couple of games he's been solid. They've both been solid together. Absolutely, Ogilvy started very slowly for Portsmouth. A couple of shaky performances. I, I recall a pretty poor forty-five minutes away at Doncaster. A couple of other shaky showings in that August-September period. But recently, he has slotted in where no one else is has really stepped up to do so. Obviously, it was necessitated with the absence of Robertson. When he comes back, that selection becomes a, a good headache for Cowley. But Ogilvy really has stepped up to the plate, and he's he's become the defender, again, that I saw at Gillingham. Solid, dependable. When you don't hear his name much, there's a reason for that, because he's quietly getting on with his job. There is nothing spectacular about him, because he quietly and efficiently goes about his business and I think you're starting to see that on a game-by-game basis now the reports on Robertson are still that he might he should be back before Christmas but the way that they keep saying before Christmas it's likely to be a month from today so there's still going to be four or five games for Ogilvy to be in that partnership with Raggett at least now that's before Robertson's technically back at match fitness or even training Match fitness could be another couple of weeks away. So the Ogilvy Raggett partnership may be something that we see right up until you know the calendar's turnover for New Year. As you say, I th- it, I think it's, a, it's a risky thing to move out of. Unless, unless the club bring in a new centre-half, I think that partnership is there until Clark Robinson is, is fully fit again. Well, you can't rush him. No, because it, he's one of those players that has picked up niggly injuries. The only thing I'd say about Lincoln may not be the most dangerous game if you are going to move someone out. They, I think they scored 20 goals all season. In fact, they've, they've scored 20 and conceded 20. They are one of those sort of dreary little teams this season that get involved in tight games. 
there aren't many goals at either end. So if you're looking at needing to jiggle the defence about in a game against a Lincoln team that is misfiring, that hasn't really found its creative juices in a way it did last season when they went to the playoff final, heading to Cincinnati Bank Tuesday, you might not, you certainly won't be up against the most formidable firepower in the division. Maybe you get away with it. And that might be something Cowley's weighing up as well. You're not heading to free-scoring, you know, Plymouth, MK Dons, whomever. You're heading to a Lincoln side that hasn't got it going yet. So that may be something else he's weighing up. Do I risk it? Because we're not playing the same Lincoln that we saw last season. Yep. Uh, lads, the final part, as ever, we do this uh, every week. I say we do it every week. We've done two episodes. Uh, we go through some uh, tweets and emails. There's loads. So we honestly, we're absolutely flattered by the amount we've got we've got coming in. So I'm going to do my very best to go through them. Uh, just reaction, really, to the game on Saturday. Uh, so Davis says, Ogilvy was a brick wall yet again against Wimbledon. Robbo has some big competition when he recovers and comes back. We were just talking about that. Dan Stacey, yes, it was a penalty. Gave my uh, view on the uh, Pompey Facebook page. Lots of good and bad today. The main thing is that we dug deep and found the goals. Defo's the main thing. Uh, Paul says, excellent response going a goal down. Our opening 10 minutes was excellent. Effort all over the pitch. Real team win with Jacobs, Harness, Romeo. Uh, all worth a mention. Uh, Morale is definitely a very good signing. Does that uh, ticking over job we lost and a bit of extra drive. Uh, generally, generally quite a positive reaction. Uh, Dan here says, Dan Lewis says, Harness pr- uh, proving himself once again, been outstanding this season so far. Never a penalty in a million years. And the EFL need to sort out these refs because it seems every week we get some absolute ball ref. <laughs> it's just right though, isn't it? It's just, it's constant. Absolutely. Every single week, without fail, we get just... Yeah, League One refs for a reason. <laughs> I just can't, I can't think of a polite way of putting it. <laughs> I'm not going to get taken off air for saying anything, am I? <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan Light. A lot of Dan's on here. Jacobson Harness turned it around, grabbed the uh, grabbed it by the scruff of the neck. Uh, Pompey Dog, uh, no danger. It was a pen. Massive dive, but you see them given. Cowley's subs were superb. Yeah, well, a lot of people praising that as well, Jeff. Uh, Jacobs, Harness and Curtis were a pain in the ass for the dandy dons. Jacobs, man of the match for me because he's been up against it. Harness, pure shithousery versus their number four. Are you talking about... Is, it, is that yeah, what you're talking I, about? I, yeah, you know, but when he scored his goal, their number four on the edge of the box put his head in his hands and it was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And Harness just went up to him and went, ah! You know, akin Nathan Thompson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, when they missed, Rowett missed that penalty that time. And it was just brilliant. And then the knee, knee slide towards the flattening. Actually, uh, just on the, the subject of shithousery when he did that to Woodyard, uh, Ollie Palmer joins the hallowed oh, rank of players to give it the big un to the chef? Pompey yeah. fans and then be on the losing side. Why would side? you shush the, way, the uh, home fans when you've gone 1-0 up in the first half? You know, I, I put it out there yesterday Pratt. about time wasting. <laughs> but I love it. I love it when teams come. I've turned into Kevin Keegan. This week, last I love week, it. Last week it was Roy Keane. This week I'm Kevin Keegan. No impressions, yeah. please. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I love it when teams come to Fatton Park, they're holding out for a point, they're time wasting, everything else, and we go score an eight yeah. and a minute winner. Brilliant. Well, <laughs> weirdly, the last, ti- the last time I recall a player giving it to giving it the big end to the Pompey fans after scoring a penalty and then being on the losing side was MK Dons when they came down here and we won 3-1. So teams who are and or used to be Wimbledon 
pack it in. <laughs> Do you know what it is, though? It's, it's definitely the away manager saying frustrate the home fans because they all say that. They all say that if we can frustrate the home fans, we'll, you know, we'll come out good. Well, that backfired. Uh, moving on. This is great. Mike says, Lee Brown is a mental case and has the mental age of a five-year-old, and I absolutely love it. He is what was he doing legend. to Michael Jacobs? I don't uh, no, that was Harness. Was it Harness? He had, he had his head between his legs, and he was just—he's he's just, just mental, though. He's isn't what I love, was he doing? I love the way, he, like, you know, was it last season he threw the ball at someone's head and then looked over his shoulder? Just for the record, that. just for the record, that's not my opinion on Lee Brown. That's Mike on Twitter, Mike of Pompey. Lee Brown has a mental case and has the age of a five-year-old, and I love it. That's from Mike of Pompey on Twitter. Right, moving on from that one. There's loads, honestly. I can't believe how many messages we've had, lads. It's brilliant. Um, this is a question. Uh, if it's a case of one in, one out come January, Ryan, this one's for you. Who would you like to see move away from the club and who would you be interested to see join, be it a loan or transfer? From the Pompey Lumberjack. It's got... It depends what the objective is for the season. Again, <laughs> we're, I'm staying away from that name. I, I, I do not want to incur the wrath again. What name? Uh, Ten Bompson. It depends what the objective is for this season. Do you want a transfer that you can realistically call upon this season and have it as one of your additions for next season in the knowledge that you're probably going to pay over the odds for any January transfer signing? Or do you bring a loan in uh, to, to try and formulate some late outsider shot push for the playoffs? Now, in either case, you've got to get a high earner off the books. And it's got to be a high earner that isn't playing. At this particular moment in time, Michael Jacobs is a contender for that. One goal does not a player make, and he is still the second highest earner at the club. I'll need to see a lot more before I feel he's warranted a place at this club rather than getting reported four and a half grand a Can't week to the bench. Paul Downing's another. It's clear he's not in favour. It's clear he's never an option. You may as well end that failed experiment early. Yeah, it's, it's got to be high on us at this point because we've talked about the budget. The club have talked about the budget. The purse strings are very tightly drawn now after the uh, reported overspend. So you've got to free up a you know, substantial chunk of what is being taken up. Even as Harrison is a higher earner at the club, not in favour either. So it's got to be a high earner that isn't in favour. Then you bring in someone that is actually a game changer. In terms of who you can bring in on loan at the minute. If, if they're scoring goals in the championship... A championship team aren't going to loan them to exactly. the league. So you've, the got, problem, you've got, got to, to bring in a misfiring from, player. Or take someone from League 2 and hope, hope they can do it in League 1. But if yeah, anyone exactly, can yeah. get the best out of a player, we know it's Danny Cowley. Because he's done it before. Yeah, that's why Arsenal trusted uh, entrusted Miguel Aziz to us. Because he, he brought through the development of Emil Smith-Rowe yeah. when he was at Huddersfield. And yeah. Arsenal you know, were extremely grateful for the, the particular attention he paid to him. And, and obviously it's gone very well for him since. So yeah, as Jeff rightly points out, you either take a misfiring player from elsewhere in a high division or the same division and hope he starts firing, or you pay over the odds for someone who's scoring from League 2 and hope they can make a half-season with immediate effect jump up to a higher tier. It's a very it's a very difficult thing to navigate the January transfer window. Any names that you'd like to see, sign? I know you take you take um, a lot. You know you, you pay attention to what's going on in League yeah. One Championship. So, in terms of out of form players, Dion Charles, because this is actually quite appropriate. The Proclaimers came on. Uh, Hibbs 
made three bids for Dion Charles in the summer from Accrington. Dion Charles is in exile at Accrington at the minute. He has not played, he's not started a game. I'm not even sure if he's played the game since August for Accrington because he wanted to go. And Andy Holt very openly, very publicly said, we essentially made your career. You weren't much before us. You are now one of the biggest assets in League One because of the chance we gave you. You owe us something more than that. Now, clearly, they're in a stalemate because Dion Charles has not been seen in BB5 for ages. He was nowhere near the team shoot when we went there in October. At some point, someone has to blink. Dion Charles either pay, plays for that club or Accrington looks to the next window and say, all right, get you know, get rid. We're on a We're on a budget as well that is quite competitive but because we're a small club we have to eat what we kill they will try and in in a metaphorical sense get the killing of Dion Charles they've tried to hardball it it hasn't worked he's not starting Harry Pell has been really good in that role behind Colby Bishop since he's made the move up from League Two from Colchester he's he was even quite good against us a physical presence scored a goal Dion Charles will probably leave in January now Clearly, we've been missing a presence that a couple of players have come in every now and then and put in good performances. It's been Jacobs once a time. It's been Harness once a time. Realistically, players need to be playing in the same position every week. If you want someone behind the forwards who can actually get the job done, it's Dion Charles. But the problem is then, you're now taking on a player who has some contractual issues and hasn't played for half a year. So you're taking the talent on but you're taking you're taking a risk with the attitude as well. But that's that's just me throwing out a good League One name uh, it, that is out of favour. It's either that or you take a punt on a, you know, someone like Liam Delap at Man City. He's been banging them in for fun for their under twenty threes. Yes, Danny has has gambled with Aziz and and had me, but Delap is is proven at that level. Could he do it in League One? Probably. Is he going to get 20-odd goals between January and the end of the season? No. But would he get into double figures? There's a good chance he would. Mm. And that's that's the kind of player maybe that you can entice in from a, a Premier League under-23 team. Um, you know, I think it would do no harm the way Gavin's been playing, now how he's been managed. I think Man City would look at that and go, actually, you know, we trust Pompey with, with this player. And, and maybe that due to what we're doing with Bazunu, we'll forge that link to maybe the likes of Liam Delap coming in. I think we're definitely going to Maybe we should to... go and get Scott Twine. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I think we're definitely going to have to see some of these loans ended early. The fact that our manager's talking about exploring their recall options that. in January. I'm all for that. It, it shows how badly it's gone for one reason or another. Yeah. And of all the loan signings, realistically, you can only say one, uh, two have worked out. Bazunu and uh, Romeo. Yep. Uh, right, on to the next one. This is a question, Jeff. I think you'll... Uh, I don't know if you'll struggle to answer. Did he make the right call replacing Bassi with Bazunu on Saturday? Because I I was actually shocked that Bass didn't start. I think you've got to say yes, because we won. Yeah. Um, There's no disrespect to Bazunu. No, I, I, I think it's harsh on, on Alex. Yeah. I think he deserved um, his... his opportunity to maybe start yesterday um i've seen some social media comments when i'll bass would have saved that but <laughs> saving the penalty taking the penalty is in the lap of the gods no. it, you know you either get it right or you don't um so on the balance 
I think it was right. But if we had lost, you could argue that it got it wrong. I would also point out that uh, Gavin Bazunu is a regular, constant, permanent starter for an entire country who belongs to Man City, who's also proven he's probably a class above League One. If we all of a sudden drop him for Alex Bass, Manchester City are well within their rights to come back to us and say, you've dropped the Republic of Ireland starter, a goalkeeper that's proven he is above your level. Uh, we'll take him back in January. We'll give it to a club well, that wants him. Look at that save he pulled off in the second half. Exactly. He that didn't just save effort. it. He caught it yeah. four foot off the ground. I saw it, someone put yeah. on Twitter. It was a comfort. It was an easy save. No, you, that that was a classic 1980s type save. That that looked like a Peter Schmeichel save where he's climbed uh, yeah. upstairs to grasp it with both hands. But if we drop him all of a sudden, he spends three weeks out the starting yeah. eleven just before we get to January. What stops Man City from going? Oh, we'll take him to the Championship then. Yeah. It'll and, be and in the championship next season. And then least. all of a sudden, Pompey, we've got enough things to sort out in January already. All, all of a sudden, we've got enough things to sort out in January as it is. We all of a sudden have to sort out another goalkeeper. Mm. It's an issue we don't need to have. Right, right now, Bazunu over Bass, it prov- yes, it's harsh on Bass, but it prevents a potentially larger issue. Yeah. Um, another one here. I know we've pretty much, Brian's covered it. We were talking about players, you know, in, in January. Um, with 11 players out of contract in June though Jeff five players with one year options who's earned a new deal that's from Peter on Twitter who's earned a new deal good question I think they've got two months to to earn that new deal Um, I think harness option will will be taken up Um, I think Ronan is is contracted for another year so I don't think they need to do anything there Um, the club will be stupid not to give harness a new deal even if they are looking to offload him because it, it puts, you know, another couple of noughts on the end, end, end of the price tag. Um, who's heard? That's a really tough question. I mean, it, it's probably too early to ask that now. I think it, it is. I, th- I, think, I, I think we, you know, can we come back like in, in March? I think that's a really good question. Yeah. But, you, you know, I think on, on, on current form, we, Ryan talked about it last week about with all those players out of contract, that's where the main rebuild actually happens. Yes, we've had a high turnover this season. The summertime is that main rebuild. I'd throw two names out there. One is a maybe and one is a yes. The maybe is Marcus Harness. The yes is Sean Raggett. Yeah, how does definitely. he not? How does he not get a contract renewal? He, you know, he was might, immense on Saturday. Yeah, and he's the obviously Bazunu's collected a lot of praise, certainly for games where he single-handedly kept Pompey in far longer than they deserve to be. The MK Dons game, for me, still stands out. How it took them 72 minutes to take the lead in that game was ridiculous. He was glorious in that first half. But the most consistent player across every game has been Raggett. It, he's not had a howler of a game yet. He's made mistakes, but you haven't looked at a, a, a singular performance of his and gone, you've dropped a 90-minute stinker there. We all make mistakes, don't we? Nigel Rush, uh, <laughs> team is starting to look stretched with our current injuries. So what uh, calibre of striker can we uh, can be picked up in January? We sort of pretty much covered that. And who, if anyone, Jeff, will come in for Downing and Harrison? And if nobody does pick them up, what money 
what we have available to bring players in. The Cowleys said two or three transfer windows. January will be the second. If nothing happens in the coming window and with the number of players out of contract at the end of the season, will Pompey be facing another complete overhaul in the summer? And I've seen an article released by um, Neil Allen talking about a complete overhaul. Um, so they obviously know more than us. But what, what can you see happening? I've, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You look about Plymouth came in for Harrison in, in, in the summer and he turned it down for whatever reason. If Plymouth came back in for him now, he'd say yes. They're top of the league. They're I far in all I believe he said he wanted to earn his place here. He's, Harrison stayed on the basis, I'm going to fight for my position. And you've got to admit, you've got to admire that. You have. You have. But, you know, realistically, is anyone going to come in for Dowling? Who? Probably not. And then, and then we talked about it last week. You got to pay him off, and if you pay him off, that comes out your first team budget. Yeah. Unless yeah, the it's, board, it's dead money more, anyway. So unless the board release more money. And this is going back to our conversation last week. How do you game plan for Cowley's future? Do you do you throw a lot at giving him a shot at the playoffs this year, or do you just, without saying it in these precise words, call this season what it is? Get rid of a lot of the wage bill in the summer and say you've got a hell of a lot of wage bill and not that many plays to get do what must be done I'm glad you didn't call it a transition season because I'm so bored of hearing that now well, we said that last week didn't we so bored of and, hearing it and we spoke about where we thought Pompey would finish and I said 8th I think I said 8th um, you know if we get 8th I think everyone will go okay yeah we got 8th then that massive rebuild happens in the summer you got 8th with that squad now you've got, like you said last week, two thirds of the playing budget. They can push on. Yeah. Uh, one more email, then we'll, uh, we'll we'll run off, lads. This is from Jason Heath, and I have to admire the subject title of this email. It's up the shagging blues. Uh, he says <laughs> Jacobs, man of the match, didn't know he was playing until the, in the second half until he scored. That's a bit harsh. Morel changed the game. Class player as always wants the ball. Williams Thompson. One or the other, not both together. One has to play next to morale. I think this is just subjects that we could have spoken about. Harness frustrating again, but scored and is our top scorer, so I'll shut my mouth. Are we watching a different game? I thought he was class. Wasn't he? I, I think there were periods of the game where he petered out into irrelevancy. Uh, but there were there were sprinklings of of, you know, creative, you know, goodness throughout yeah. the game and obviously in the end makes a, an extremely telling impact. He says, Baz saves and catches the ball. Legend, old school, proper keeper. You were just referring to that, weren't you? Like, you yeah. know, the old school. Uh, this one, we were talking about the stadium earlier. Stadium, queue uh, for half-time beer in the North, uh, North Upper. Shambles once again. Gave up waiting, more lost revenue. Why not have beer waiting like Wembley? It's match the experience Or again. sell plastic bottles in special beer queue. If you want tea, crisp, chocolate, get your mate to queue. <laughs> <laughs> actually I did um, I remember the last time I actually went to Fratton Park as a fan I asked for a hot chocolate and I got a hot dog I wasn't impressed uh, <laughs> um, have big yellow letters on the step facing you as you walk down so non-regular dins can see what road they have to go to non-regular dins it does baffle me that in the Fratton end you come out halfway up and the letters are facing if you're coming from the bottom yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed and you're that and you like you know someone 
somewhere thought that was a really good idea, but you come out and everyone goes, what letter's that? Yeah. I'll read the rest yeah. of this. That's not ideal. It says, so non-regular di- regular, regular dins can see what row they have to go up instead of walking down, stopping, turning around to read the letter, like you just said, Jeff, in black or grey. Get out the kin way. Also, put the seat numbers either side of the gangway. Uh, L147, one, one uh, mate. This is L200. You're 50 seats that way. Ran over. <laughs> 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 you, always, you always get one in the front and then go I've committed I'm now going past these 60 people <laughs> it's the longest cinema aisle in the world oh, oh, I'm, just, oh, I'm, just, I'm just passing through one more then I'll read this one from Owen um, come on fellas uh, if you could pick to be any Pompey player past or present who would it be uh, from Owen Elias on Twitter can I go first Prozanecki because I'm a, I'm a bit of a bigger lad. I mean, let's be honest, he wasn't the, the fittest of players, was he? I mean, well, he was. He didn't look the fittest of players. How many, how many fags did he reportedly smoke? I think he kept... <laughs> 40 I think he, a day, I he? think he kept Marlborough in business. I mean, come on. What a, what a player. Look, I'd, I'd be Prozanecki. See, I would have picked Prozanecki for the sheer fact he played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. My son, Reese, he said to me on Saturday, who was Prozanecki? I said, he was a legend. Oh, he what? went, who did he play for? And I told him. And Everyone. He went, if you got the... the um, and he played for Pompey. Exactly. Like, if you got the um, the privilege of experiencing Prozanecki in a Pompey shirt, then, it, it, you know, what, what an experience. Uh, but to be honest with you, in true Pompey fashion, I'd probably pick John Durning because he was a lad on and mm. off the pitch. I did catch the. Uh, I think I did catch the later years of John Dernan's time here, when I was a nipper, and yeah, he was. Uh, I do remember him being favoured by my dad. Yeah, is that so? You go, John. Oh no, my my pick would be. My pick would be Jimmy Dickinson. He yeah. got to spend his entire Pompey career here, and I, as a Pompey fan, I know I like to you know raff on the club a bit every now and then. But as a Pompey fan, that would be the dream come to uh, dream come true. There you go, lads. What a way to end. Uh, Really, really enjoyed this one. Thank you for your company as ever. The beers have gone. My Pepsi Max went about an hour ago. Um, But looking forward to episode three then. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, talking all, uh, all be positive talk following the Lincoln game on Tuesday. And then who have we got next? Chilling them away is the Saturday game. Oh, Christ. Just a word of warning. Genuinely, if you are going to that Gilliam game, uh, don't wear any nice clothes because them seats will ruin your clothes. I genuinely had to throw my coat away last time I went there because it stained that, my coat. I swear that temporary stand's been there for the last 30 years. That temporary stand is older than some of the people going on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting in it in, in, in 98 or something like that. I think it was put in in 96 as well. So you first went when it actually was a temporary oh, yeah. stand and then all of a sudden it's just part of the furniture. Well, enjoy your trip in the uh, to the Scaffold Stadium on uh, a Saturday and, of course, hopefully a win on Tuesday night as well. Uh, lads, pleasure as always and we'll see you in episode three. Sports Social Podcast Network.